Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to another episode of Chapel Hill Thrill. I'm your host, Jacob Karabatsis. We're presented by the Believe Podcast Network. Got a special guest with me today, national college football analyst for 24-7 sports, all-around great dude, Brad Crawford. How are you doing today, Brad? Thanks for having me, Jake. Appreciate the time. And uh, yeah, it's hard to believe we're already in week five of college football. I know. Once it gets here, it's like a... It's like when Halloween comes, Thanksgiving and Christmas are right there following. That's how it feels with football. As soon as week one's here, it's like the weeks just go by way too quick, man. So I want to start. Obviously, you cover a lot of teams in college football as a whole. Since this is UNC-based pod, I wanted to start with your most impressive teams list in which you had the Tar Heels – so give give the fans out there a little bit of a reasoning for why they're on your most impressive teams list. Yeah, so so grading UNC over the summer, I think the win total at most sports books was about eight and a half. And I actually picked UNC to finish eight and four going under that total because I didn't see the Tar Heels getting through that tough non-conference stretch four and oh. And here we are late September. They beat South Carolina in that opener, nine nine sacks in that game held on and beat Appalachian State, and then beat a pretty good Minnesota team at, at home and then won over the weekend at Pitt, which is, you know, for, for UNC fans, those road games against Virginia, the Pitts of the world, those, those get kind of tough every now and then. But, man, 4-0 inside the top 20 right now is Mac Brown's team. And they're really doing this, Jake, with Drake May not having a great, you know, first quarter of the season. So that's a, a positive sign if your star quarterback – isn't having that elite year just yet, and you're still 4-0 and and ranked. Yeah, it's first time since, I think, 97. Um, my favorite part about it is that this team under Mac Brown has had the same issue, and that is that every time they're in a spot where they're a touchdown or more favorite, supposed yeah. to be an easy win, they don't show up, and yeah. they struggle. And thankfully against – and. They did it against App, and when I saw it against App, I was concerned that it was going to be more of the same. Yeah. And then you have the games against Minnesota, the games against Pitt. So, in your opinion, do you think it's – what do you think it is? Do you think it's the new coordinator? Do you think it's the defense is better? What is your general takeaway as to why they're winning these games with Drake not being at his best? Yeah, the the Hills are certainly more physical and – 
kind of owning that toughness factor at the line of scrimmage. And that's, you know, not something that's really been indicative of Mac Brown coach teams at UNC. You know, he's been about a 600 winning percentage at, at, at UNC. He's won some games he shouldn't have. He's lost some games he shouldn't have, at, as you mentioned. But at the line of scrimmage, that's always been the biggest issue. Can UNC not only put pressure on opposing quarterbacks, but can they wrap up the line of scrimmage? UNC's done a pretty good job of that. And then late game execution. You know, the Tar Heels have been coming up with stops when they've needed to in the second half. That's something that we haven't seen these last few years. So, yeah, I've got UNC as a serious contender in, in the ACC. You know, still have to play unbeaten Florida State. Clemson's out of this thing already here in week five. Kind of hard to believe. And then Louisville's a team at, at 4-0 that has a shot too. So those are kind of my three top teams in the ACC. And I think right now, you know, UNC fans would probably care about what the opinion is about NC State. And after watching them for a month of football, State's about where I thought they'd be, probably 6-6 six and six type team. And, you know, looking ahead to that game two months from now, I think anybody would would take UNC right now. Yeah, I think that's going to be the test that last – the last three games. I'm not – like right. you said, I'm not worried about State necessarily anymore. But you get Duke at home. Yep. And then you have to go to Clemson, and then most likely you're playing Florida State in the ACC championship. I mean, that's when it's going to get interesting because, I mean, UNC realistically only has three what I would call losable games on the schedule, and it's Miami at home, yeah. Duke at home, and at Clemson. And Clemson is a bit of a dumpster fire, and I can't say it hurts my feelings to see that because – yeah, Miami's it's, Miami's a team too, as you mentioned. They they should be up there in that top tier as well. I mean, I I think if UNC finishes with two ACC losses, as long as one of them's to Florida State, I think we'll see a rematch, and you know the the Heels will be one of those two teams playing in Charlotte. Yeah, and so what do you think about Duke? That's the like. Do you think this is a legitimate? a legitimate run from Duke here? Like they could really be a 10, 11 win team or 10, 11 wins. I don't think so. We're going, we're going to know a lot more about Duke here in week five when they host Notre Dame, obviously national spotlights on Duke college game day is in Durham. I think, I think I heard that right. Um, Riley Leonard's a guy that, you know, I, I probably had as a mid round pick coming into the season. He's played better than I thought he would. The The big question for me is can Duke hold on to Mike Elko at the end of the year. Um, if I was a Duke fan right now, I would be seriously worried about that. Obviously, Duke's a private school. We don't know what kind of salary he's making, but the Blue Devils are going to have to open the checkbook, man, to, to match some of these offers he's going to get because, you know, Michigan State has a vacancy right now. We're talking about possible return to A&M if A&M moves on from Jimbo Fisher. So there's a lot of big power five jobs that are bigger than Duke that will likely come open and, you know, late November, early December. So Duke's a team that I think is going to hover around the top 25 the rest of the year, but 10 or 11 wins, that's that's probably pushing it. Yeah, I'm, I think the biggest shock for me is I'm not sure if it's – obviously the Clemson win doesn't look quite as good now, but the defense in Durham has been pretty impressive. I'm just – I'm not really – like you said, we haven't really seen much. They've played kind of a, a cupcake schedule outside of the Clemson game. So it's – Yeah. It's it's tough. And 
You said something about the draft, which I actually wanted to ask about this too. So your big board, QBs, yeah. who is your who is your top five and where do you have Drake on that list? So I've got Drake May third right now, and I had him two coming into the year behind Caleb Williams. Obviously, Caleb Williams is still one. And I've got Washington's Michael Penix at number two. Now, the, the thing that is going to be important about Michael Penix is – you know, how does he grade injury-wise during the combine circuit? You know, he's he's had a re- reconstructed knee, um, hasn't shown any signs of that being an issue at Washington, but, you know, was was hurt at Indiana. And obviously I think Drake May in a more pro-style wide-open set in the NFL is going to be, you know, a, a really good quarterback. He has the size. He has the arm strength. I don't think he's going to be asked to run a whole lot in the NFL like he has been the last couple of years at UNC, but – um, I do think Chip Kelly's offensive scheme, I mean, excuse me, Chip Lindsey's offensive scheme at, at UNC right now, I wouldn't say it's stunting Drake May's growth, but it's certainly a change from the air raid we saw with Phil Longo. And obviously not having Tez Walker, anybody can see it coming that Drake's numbers weren't going to be as big as they were last year with, you know, Josh and um, some of the other guys. So I've got Drake May third right now. And then Four or five quarterback positions, man. It could be really anybody. Quinn Ewers at at Texas. He's a guy who's who's going to be up there. Riley Leonard, uh, Spencer Rattler. You know, coming into the year, he was probably a late round selection if he's going to be picked. And now I'm I'm being told by NFL scouts I've talked to that they're expecting Rattler to go early day two. So if he goes early day two, any one of those teams in the top 32 could you know swoop in and and uh, get him on day one. So Drake May is certainly up there. Caleb Williams. Michael Penix, those are my three top guys. Yeah, so you mentioned Spencer Rattler. Um, I wanted to also get your take on maybe three, four, five guys that have played their way into late first, early second round. I mean, South Carolina guy like Xavier Xavier Leggett is like – he's legit. I mean, he's – probably going to be a late first early second rounder now so who are a couple more guys that you've seen in this first four weeks that have really played themselves up on draft boards and the thing about Xavier Leggett is obviously he's got some serious momentum right now among NFL types and NFL scouts are watching him go you know eight for 175 every week against pretty good defenses um had a couple people on Georgia staff you know mention Man, that, that number 17 in white, he's a really good player for South Carolina. They, they saw him up close. thing about X, though, is, you know, the first 35 games in Columbia, he had like 35 catches, three touchdowns. Last five games, he's had just about those same numbers. So I think scouts and talent evaluators want to see that the rest of the season, want to make sure he can stay healthy. He's had some drop issues early in his career, and that hadn't shown up yet. So he's, he's a guy, like you said, who could creep into that day one range I still think he's probably a uh, you know third round pick or so, but I mean he's getting DK Metcalf comparisons right now for what he's done here in September. So obviously he's a guy who's going up draft boards. Um, there there's several defensive players. Kool Aid McKinstry at Alabama, you know he, uh, coming into the year he was maybe a second or third corner taken. He might be the top corner now. Alabama's defense hasn't played as well as a lot of us thought it would, but he had a really good game Saturday against Ole Miss and Jackson Dart. Um, he's a guy that I, I think can play well. And Brock Bowers at Georgia, um, haven't heard his name a whole lot with Mike Bobo's new scheme. You know, he's still getting his touches. 
you know, they're, they're still running jet sweeps his direction for a tight end. I think he's a very good player at that position. I just don't know about draft value, man. I don't know if I would spend a, a top five or a top 10 pick on a tight end unless I've got a quarterback who, you know, is really going to target lock that guy. Yeah. You don't want to be in a Kyle Pitts Atlanta right. situation. Um, so something you brought up with Drake was we knew without Tez, he was going to be missing a lot. You lose Josh uh -huh. Downs, you lose Antoine Green. So, you know, most of the time people I have on here are Carolina guys. And sure. I want to take this opportunity to get a unbiased perspective on the Tez Walker ruling. So, how? I mean, like, how do you feel about this whole situation just from an outsider's perspective? You know, I was on on Tez's behalf. I was a lot madder about this situation a few weeks ago, right before the season opener, because, you know, as a college football analyst, national guy, and as a college football fan, you want to see both teams going into that game with a stacked deck. I mean, Spencer Rattler and Juice Wells versus Drake May and Tez Walker. Turns out Juice Wells plays like 10 snaps. He's hurt. And and Tez Walker w was deemed ineligible. You know, I – I'm going to be careful what I say, but I don't I don't think UNC did enough, you know, on on that university's behalf for for Tez Walker. You know, it it seems like they they tried to rush it toward the end when it when it wasn't looking good. I mean, 2 weeks before that game when they started game prep for the Gamecocks, I was told by somebody in Chapel Hill that they felt really encouraged by the NCAA and they thought they were going to rule in Tez's favor. Then about 5 or 6 days later, it was starting to look pretty grim and then you have a situation where what a day before kickoff or so, like it was just uh, not a good situation. So, you know, I, I feel sorry for Tez. Um, it was a family decision, he says. You know, we, we can just take him by his word and what's on the record. And then you look at some other players nationally. I mean, half of Dion's team out in Boulder, Colorado, you know, has, has played for two, uh, one or two different teams in their career. And pretty much all those guys are eligible. So I think the NCAA – while they are looking at these kind of transfer rules on a case-by-case -case basis, man, they're just picking and choosing, you know, which guys that they deem eligible and which guys that they make sit. Yeah, it's – it almost seems like a like a power thing. Like if sure. you if you make that third transfer to Alabama or Georgia, you're probably going to be eligible just because yeah. it's Alabama and Georgia. But I mean, if Drake know, you, May if, – if Drake May would have – left Chapel Hill for Tuscaloosa this offseason. Do you really think the NCAA would have said he was ineligible, you know, in, in September? It, it, that's a that's an insane – that's a really insane story when you think yeah. about it. He's committed to Alabama. Right. He, he decommits. He's so good that Alabama's like, we're going to try to get him again. And, I mean, I don't know the official numbers, but I – he must really love Chapel Hill and the family must have really convinced him because I've heard like seven figures thrown around for the amount of NIL money that he basically he was being offered to go to Bama. And then I think about it and I'm like, I get it because we see where Bama's flaw is right now. Sure. And <laughs> it's if, quarterback. If, if Alabama had Drake May, Sam Hartman or Spencer Rattler, they'd be four and oh and, top five like everybody expected yeah and that's that's one thing i wanted to talk to you about too is i feel like everyone is so quick 
And I guess it's because of how long they've been doing this, but everyone's been so quick to dethrone Bama. And sure. I, my thing is, is first off, their defense is still insane. They just held, held Ole Miss to 10 points. And yeah. they're 3-1. and one. This is one of the most favorable schedules I can remember a Bama team playing. I mean, they have Tennessee and they have LSU outside of that. Like, there's still a real possibility they – go 11 and one and then play Georgia in the SEC championship. So it's like, how do you feel about these people that are just, you know, burying the, the tombstone and being like, Hey, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of saw some flies in the ointment uh, last season, you know, that, that Tennessee loss was, was tough. You know, they, they beat A&M by a a last second stop at the goal line in Tuscaloosa. And you got to remember this, this is a team with Bryce Young too. I mean, this is a team that, you know, with a former Heisman winner at quarterback. But I, I think the last couple of years, other elite programs have caught up to Alabama. The the transfer portal um, hasn't necessarily been kind to Nick Saban. You know, there, there's other teams that are recruiting equally as well. Kirby Smart has sort of taken the national recruiting title away from Nick Saban. So, I mean, hey, man, I'm, I'm one of the guys that I, I wouldn't shovel in dirt on Nick Saban's grave this summer, but I did take Alabama – to finish under 10 and a half wins. And I'm, I'm one more loss away from cashing that ticket. So, you know, they, they play at A&M in a couple of weeks there. There's, there's still some losable games on that schedule, but like, like you said, I mean, you can't count Alabama out because of how elite that roster is very good on defense. Dallas Turner at edge is going to be a first round pick. Kool-Aid's a first round pick, probably JC Latham along the offensive line. He's a first round pick. So, you know, still a lot of guys that are going to be day one NFL draft selections. Yeah, absolutely. So before we get into the, I guess, parody of college football this year. Thank um, goodness for parody, yeah. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it really is. It's It feels good to every team that's at the top right now, most of them have played a close game in some capacity. And before we get into that, um, you know, UNC – are they 15th or 16th in the latest poll? I, don't I believe they're number 15 in the, in the AP, yep. Yeah, so 15th in the nation. We've talked about the schedule. We've talked about the good teams in the ACC. So today, if you were to look at it and make your prediction on the ACC championship game and who comes out the ACC champion, wh- what would you say? I think UNC, Florida State, and I think that would be a very good ball game. Florida State with the edge because they just have better talent overall. Talking about several draft picks on that team, too. You know, one one surprise for UNC, I want to mention him, too. Marion Hampton has just had a fantastic season. I think he had 200 yards against App, somewhere around there. I, I didn't watch that game in full, but, man, he's just running over guys, making guys miss. UNC's offensive line has, has opened some holes for him at times. So Chip Lindsey, you know, the former UCF play caller who's now in Chapel Hill, I knew he was going to run it a lot this season, but I, I wasn't sure if UNC had a bell cow running back, and Marion really has shown shown that. So if, if there's one area where Florida State is, you know, susceptible to giving up yards and points, it's probably on the ground. Um, BC, Boston College had a chance, you know, chance to beat Florida State two weeks ago. Will Shipley for Clemson had some success on Saturday. So um, I wouldn't count out UNC yet as a possible New Year's Six team. Um if they if they keep this up, I I think this past week actually I've I've got Penn State UNC in my updated bowl projections in the Orange Bowl. Mm, that'd be a that'd be a fun one. I yeah, mean, well, it's 
The Florida State, what, what concerns me about that game would be I really do think we could move the ball, but with our secondary, I'd say that's definitely the biggest weakness on this. I mean, even in a 17-point loss, Spencer Rattler threw for 400 yards against the secondary. So it's yeah. like Spencer Rattler's obviously a great quarterback, but 400 yards in college is, you know – at that stage is a lot. And that's obviously the weakness. And I'm genuinely concerned if they played Florida state, we might just see a Keon Coleman jump ball fest and he might have he's not 12 for 203 touchdowns. It's, yeah. it's, it's a weapon, but I mean, yeah, I, I do think Clemson playing Florida state so close does give me a little hope, especially because obviously the ACC championship is in Charlotte. So the crowd should favor UNC, but I mean, it's going to be interesting to see it play out because, like you said, there's a lot of a lot of solid teams in the ACC at the top, um, but there's also a lot of solid teams in the nation as a whole. So, how good do you think this season has been for the brand? Because I think everyone was kind of annoyed to an extent because it's like all right georgia's gonna win every game by 40 points sure. alabama's gonna win every game by 40 points it's gonna be those two you sprinkle in ohio state or michigan and there you go how amazing has has the parody been this year to just pretty much completely change that i tell you what man it's just been a lot of fun to watch coach prime do what he is doing at colorado you know it's it's kind of upsetting that the pac-12 is going to leave us after this season because there's like seven or eight unbeaten still in that league, and they're all going to, you know, mash up and play one another here over the next, you know, four to six weeks. Oregon's really good. Washington's really good. Obviously, Caleb Williams and USC, they're going to be there. So I've been watching a lot more West Coast football, man, than, than I normally do because my my home, you know, hometown SEC homerdom, I want to call it, you know, SEC is not good this season. There there's been bad defenses. Quarterback play has been, you know, a, a thumbs down. You know, we we saw a couple of weeks ago, man, that the the SEC lost several opening weekend head to head games. South Carolina against UNC and LSU losing to Florida State and, you know, Alabama losing to Texas in week two. Just just several games where the SEC did not bring its best like we're used to seeing. So maybe a changing of the guard, perhaps Pac-12 might get two playoff teams in. Big Ten has three really, really good elite teams. And, by the way, Maryland's 4-0 right now. So, man, there, there's a lot of parity in college football, like you said. And I think for any viewers who are, you know, just now getting into our game because of Coach Prime, they're able to see a lot of good teams every week just throwing it around and having a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm, I just – I can genuinely say this at this juncture – I've never had so many games scheduled, like circled on yeah. the calendar. Like, for example, if you would have told me before this season started that I would have been circling October 14th, Washington versus Oregon. I mean, I'm in the freaking East Coast time zone. Yeah. I'm not supposed to care about that game. Unless and, you do this for a living. Yeah, that's that's not a game that us East Coasters care about. Yeah, and it's like now I want to stay up late and I want to see Caleb Williams. I want to stay up late and I want to see Michael Penix. I mean, it's, it's genuinely so fun. And I honestly think it's what, what the game needed because I do yeah. think people were tired of how repetitive it was every single year. Now that being said, 
do you still think that obviously you know the saying of they're still champions until they get beat but yeah what do you think the likelihood is of georgia doing this again because i feel like this is the furthest i've seen or closest i've seen them look to their competition yeah if if you gave me the field right now with even odds and or either take georgia i would certainly take the field I think there's five or six teams right now that are at Georgia's level, if not better, inside that top ten. You know, there, there are several in the Pac-12 who could give Georgia a game. I think Ohio State could give Georgia a game. Penn State maybe could give Georgia a game. Mi- Michigan, I'm not too sold on. You know, my, my preseason national champion, man, I, I took Texas. And I picked Texas to beat Bama in week two. That happened. And now it, it looks like Texas could have a team that's probably 13-0 and getting that one or two seed in the playoff as long as Quinn Ewers stays healthy. And, by the way, if he doesn't stay healthy or he gets benched, they've got two guys that are really good behind him and, you know, Malik Murphy and Arch Manning. So I think Texas has really good depth at the skill positions. Sark has re- recruited the portal well. And team like Florida State, too, you know, on a neutral field, they can certainly beat Georgia. So. Uh, the the early season schedule for Georgia right now has been so soft outside of South Carolina that I don't think maybe we've seen the true Georgia yet. We we know that there's five stars all over the field defensively, but man, defense does not win championships anymore. You you got to score points. Yeah, and that's that's my concern is obviously you know they're not like a. They're not a zero at quarterback, but when you have someone like Stetson Bennett that yeah. has been doing it, he's he's old, he's experienced, he's a veteran, he's he knows what to do in the big situations. That's the biggest difference to me is if you're telling me, um, I don't know why I'm blanking on Georgia's quarterback's name. Carson Beck, yeah. Yeah, if you're telling me Carson Beck, no matter how good Georgia's defense is, is going to have to play against – Quinn Ewers or Caleb Williams or Michael Penix or Bo Nix. I'm just like, I'm just, you could just go down the list. Sure, and yeah, a lot of good quarterbacks out there for top 10 teams. Like it's, I mean, even freaking Penn State, like Drew Aller's a guy. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's, there's so many different guys and teams that, and I think it's great because, you know, we had the stretch where Alabama and Clemson was the championship every sure. year. People got tired of it. Then Georgia came along. Now people are starting to get tired of that. And, you know, it's – I'm waiting on us to get like a like a Texas-Oregon national championship. That'd be yeah. great. We're, we're going to see who Carson Beck is as a football player this weekend on the Plains at Auburn. Georgia's a, like a two-touchdown favorite. But this is a first road game. Uh, for for Georgia this season, and this is going to be a hostile environment. Everybody's probably counting Auburn out because they did they didn't look good in College Station last week. But you know how that is, man. When, when you go on the road in the SEC, that that twelfth man can be something serious. And this is Hugh Freeze's biggest game um, to date in his first season rivalry game, of course. So, I mean, Carson, you know, if if Carson Beck throws a early interception that game and Auburn gets ahead seven nothing, then we're like, uh oh, this nation leading winning streak might be coming to an end. So, yeah, Georgia's a team that I'm actually comfortable putting on upset alert this week. Do you think that this is a year where we get the multiple undefeated teams in the playoff, or do you think it's maybe one and three, one law? I mean, 
I feel like if there's going to be a year where a, where you can lose a game and still get in, it's this year. I think you're right. And I think Notre Dame's a one-loss team potentially who could have an argument for that four seed. If, if Ohio State finishes unbeaten and Notre Dame's only losses to Ohio State, because you think about it, Notre Dame plays Duke this weekend. That's a top 20 team. They'll, they'll have to play Clemson, which that's probably an eight and four, nine and three Clemson team. And then they play USC as well. So that, that'd be three quality wins for Notre Dame with a quality loss to Ohio State. That's a chance. I don't see the Pac-12 producing a one uh, undefeated champion. I do think, however, that a 12-1 and Pac-12 champion probably does get in because of all these ranked teams they'll have to beat. The SEC is not going to be a two-team uh, two conference this season. Georgia's probably the only team with a shot to make that unless there's a one-loss champion from LSU or maybe Bama. And then the Big Ten, that's, that's kind of the million-dollar question, and along with Texas. Um, OU or Texas, I think, must finish unbeaten in order to get out of the Big 12 and, and make the playoff because – you know, the, the Big 12 is uh is pretty stinky outside of those two teams. Yeah. So, I mean, man, that brings up another interesting question because you don't realize it until you're talking about all the teams. Yeah. As of right now, what which one of the Power Five conferences is going to be on the outside looking in? Like, which one do you think doesn't get a team in? That's tough, man. Um, <laughs> probably Pac-12, honestly. Despite despite it being top to bottom the best conference right now, I just have this weird feeling that we're not going to see an unbeaten out there, and there might be a scenario in which you know we we have a eleven and one Washington, eleven and one USC going at it. You know, I don't I don't know if that's going to be good enough because you have to look at the other four teams they're going to be competing against. So in in this scenario, let's say Georgia's unbeaten, the Big Ten champions unbeaten. And Texas is unbeaten. Well, if if you have three unbeatens, then you're talking about, you know, does the ACC champion get in over the Pac-12 champion? Does Notre Dame one loss because they lost Ohio State and unbeaten? Did they get in over an ACC or a Pac-12? So the the only way for the Pac-12 to guarantee at least one team in, they're going to have to run the gauntlet. And you know, we we see it every year in the SEC. It's it's very difficult to go 13 and 0 against that schedule. Yeah, it's it's gonna it's this is one of those usually by now you have a, a idea sure of who the four are gonna be and this year I think you have an idea of the two or maybe three but guessing the four right now is genuinely impossible I mean there's so many avenues like there's an avenue I'm not saying it's a likely avenue, but there's an avenue where Florida State and UNC could be 12 and 0 playing for this for the ACC championship. Sure. It's like, and then if one of those comes out undefeated, then it's like, oh my gosh! And then you know, whoever wins that Michigan Ohio State game, that's always a huge game. So, yeah, I am very excited to see how this pans out. It's honestly probably one of the most fun college football seasons I can remember. In quite some time, um, yeah. I think Ohio State. I, I I think Ohio State winning in South Bend. That that win is going to really hold water a few months from now. Where whereas you know, if Ohio State's only loss is to Michigan and Ohio State does not play in the Big Ten championship game, and Michigan does, we might see a situation just like last season where at eleven and one, you got to put Ohio State in. But again, yeah, what what matters is you know other teams in the top ten losing. Yeah, and man, 
I have to feel for Notre Dame. I have to admit. A 12-team playoff would be a lot of fun this year. I'll say that. Oh, see, that this is the year where it's like if you were going to experiment, this year would be the year to do it because, yeah. oh, man, the talent from top to bottom. And I do honestly hate it for Notre Dame because you lose that game off of a complete, like, mental lapse yeah. to have 10 guys on the field for the final two plays. I mean, yeah. that's brutal. But – like you said, I mean, they have a chance to still control their own destiny, really. I mean, you yeah, finish 11-1. Yeah. It's it's going to be interesting. So, before we get out of here, one last UNC question for you. Um, I know the preseason win total is 8.5. Now that they're 4-0, and um, pretty favorable schedule. What is, your, what is your floor and ceiling from a record standpoint for this yeah. team right now? Yeah, I think the floor – let me uh, pull up the schedule real fast. I think the floor for this UNC team is probably 9-3, and three, and that would that would take, you know, losses to two ranked teams and then probably a loss they, they shouldn't have, like maybe a Syracuse or maybe a Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech, by the way, that, that game is not going to be easy. UNC we always struggles. Yeah, always struggles in Atlanta at, at Bobby Dodd in front of, you know, 40,000 people, but um, – I, th- I think nine and three is is probably the floor, which that that hits the over on the win total. And like I said, man, since since they got through the non-conference, you know, beating South Carolina, App State, and Minnesota, I just assumed UNC would go two and one in those three games. So so going three and zero oh was was just huge, and it, and it sort of locked everything in. But you know, I I think Miami and Chapel Hill, that's kind of a 50-50 game. Um, Duke, Clemson, and NC State. If if they can go two and one over those two games and, and three games, and then maybe lose to Miami, that's that's ten and two. And like I said in the opening, if if UNC finishes the season with two conference losses, I think that'll be enough to still get to Charlotte to play Florida State. Yeah, I do too. I mean, I just I think that Duke's probably going to drop at least a game that they're not supposed to drop. Yeah. Um, It's really just the way I see it is as long as they can keep taking care of business in the games that they're supposed to take care of business in. Like Syracuse is a, is a must win as far as, as far as, you know, commerce championship birth is concerned. I think it's, I would say, so we have the three, three game home stretch coming up. Right. And I genuinely think, Miami is could go either way, but you have to beat Syracuse and you have to beat Virginia at home. You just have to. Yeah. And then it's then you get Campbell, which is a win, and then you get that tough Georgia Tech game. Boy, That's, wouldn't it wouldn't it be something if they if UNC goes to Raleigh, needing to beat NC State to to lock things up and get in that game, and then states like five and six needing to win for bowl eligibility. I mean that Listen, that would be a colossal loss for Matt Brown if he lost that game. Oh, I'm telling you, it's they find new ways to lose to NC State. I saw it last year, year, man, with with third string Ben Finley doing his thing in Keenan Stadium. Oof. I mean, oh, it's awful. The yeah. it's they find new ways, man. It, it's genuinely impressive how many how many times that. They have played NC State with a much more talented roster. And it just doesn't matter. And that's always a game that I circle as it could be a loss just because the rivalry, man. But, yeah, yeah, um, great college football season, great conversation. 
with Brad. Uh, Brad, before you get out of here, hey, do you have any any work or would you like to plug where people can find your stuff? Yeah, I'm on 24-7 Sports' homepage quite often during the day. Um, I've got weekly bowl projections every Sunday night. I've got weekly picks every Wednesday. I'm, I'm hitting on about 60% against the spread these last couple of years, so may, may have to start charging for my picks here. Um, have a lot of fun doing that. But, yeah, I'm B. Crawford 247 on Twitter and also have a men's devotion, um, men on a mission. So get at me if, if you want in on that. Absolutely. The newsletter is great. I can't confirm. I'm a part of it. It's a wonderful time. And Brad, like like I said, man, I really do appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to come on. Great sure. talking to you.